Hello, Falava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Blowing or Elishafun. Coming up. We don't need this crisis. How the political stalemate in Vanuatu is taking a toll on its people. Also. And the first time an envoy from the U.S. has been assigned to the Pacific Islands Forum. We hear about America's plans in the Pacific. And later. For Fiji, it is simply the greatest moment in their rugby history. Fiji makes rugby history during its historic win over England. The political stalemate in Vanuatu between government and opposition is causing a lot of unease among the general public. Ni Vanuatu believe politicians must look beyond themselves in order to stop neglecting the needs of ordinary people. Those who spoke with RNZ Pacific are blaming the opposition for the political impasse for constantly stalling the government's efforts to carry out its mandate. On Friday, Vanuatu's Supreme Court ruled that the vote of 26 MPs in a parliament of 51 members to oust the country's Prime Minister was valid. Former Prime Minister and now opposition MP Sato Kilman had this message outside the courthouse. We are glad because we believe that uh, we were right from the start and that is the reason why we lost the application to the court. The government is only in power due to a stay order granted to allow it time to appeal the court's decision. However, people in the capital, Port Vila, seem unhappy with the political stalemate, raising concerns about its impact. Noel Fayonalave from Shefa province says people are suffering because of it. Many people want a government stay. They want to see development start, but opposition want to stop. The Vanuatu government has been in power for only nine months after a snap election on October last year. Hendon Kalsakau, a tribal chief on Arifa Island, says the government needs more time. He says the situation is deeply affecting the people. People who have jobs, they are not really feeling the impact of this crisis that we are going through. People from the grassroots level, these people are affected. We don't need this crisis. Harris Apos is from the Taroba province and works in Port Vila. He says Vanuatu's leaders should focus on the development interests of the community rather than fighting for positions of power. Apos says the current political dilemma means areas that need improvements such as infrastructure development, health and education are being neglected. It's better to, to let the government to, to run for some, maybe one year or two years, then we can, we can, I mean, we can see what's going on. Apos believes it's time for the churches and traditional leaders to get involved. Let them sit down and decide how we can work together. However, there are also concerns the current political climate won't improve until more women are in parliament. The people are suffering. The people are suffering in terms of development. The hospitals, for instance. The dispensaries that have been built in rural areas for the last 40 years remain the same. The human resource, it remains the same. And also in terms of uh, how people live in the community, it remains the same. Cathy Solomon, who was originally from Malapa province, has been living in Port Vila for the last four decades. She says elected representatives have defeated the purpose of being in parliament. These politicians are too busy fighting for powers, fighting for their money, fighting for their own benefits, fighting for their happiness. She says the needs of the most vulnerable are not being met. Solomon fears that without more women in the House, things will only get worse.
Women present the heart of the family, the children, the disabled, and also they wanted to see the welfare of their family grow and, you know, you know improve. And there's only men, there will be no development for this nation. Vanuatu's only female MP, Gloria Julia King, continues to call for Ni Vanuatu to hold their MPs to account. Newly appointed United States envoy to the Pacific Islands Forum, Frankie Reid, says the US is committed to addressing the priorities of Pacific Island nations. It's the first position of its kind, established as part of an $800 million development assistance package announced by President Joe Biden last year. Finau Fonua spoke to Frankie Reid about his new position. I am the first U.S. envoy to the Pacific Islands Forum, and I was appointed by President Biden and started the job in about March, based at the U.S. Embassy in Suva. It's an interesting return to a place that I know well because I was formerly ambassador there to not only Fiji, but Tonga, Nauru, Kiribati, and Tuvalu. But it's not coming back to my old job at all. I'm not dealing with the U.S. bilateral relationship, but the new relationship and the first time an envoy from the U.S. has been assigned to the Pacific Islands Forum. That said... In the past, I've attended several forums supporting usually the Secretary of State or one of the cabinet-level members who was traveling to the forum. And I've been here before in the Cook Islands as we speak when I came almost over 10 years ago with Secretary Clinton as part of that delegation to the forum. But for my background, I worked with Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Island Affairs in different capacities over the past, I would say, off and on, 20 years, beginning in um, on the Hill with a California congressman who was then the minority chair of the Asia and Pacific Subcommittee. And that put me in contact with the Freely Associated States, and I worked with the Compact of Free Association, um, some of the Palau negotiations many years ago. One thing led to another, and I was uh, assigned as charge, that is the Deputy Chief of Mission in Apia, Samoa, and spent three and a half years there with our ambassador, of course, resident in New Zealand. It's been dubbed the U.S. re-engagement in the region. There was a pledge that was made, and... An embassy has been set up in Tonga. I think an embassy has been set up in Kiribati. Could you expand on what the U.S. is going to bring to the Pacific Islands in, in, the, in the coming years? Certainly. I think you're referring to the last year's White House summit. That's correct. And during that time, the U.S. President Biden made certain commitments that we would undertake and I don't know if it's as much re-engagement. We, it's not that the U.S. left, but I think that our presence has not been as obvious as it has in the past. And by obvious, I mean by not having the staffing to allow participation in important meetings and reducing the size of embassy staff, and in some cases, places where we've never physically had an embassy. So when you um, refer to opening embassies, yes, the embassy in Tonga recently, 
was opened and Secretary Blinken came out for that. I just left Fiji, Suva, where the head of the U.S. Agency for International Development, Samantha Powers, opened the first regional embassy, uh, not embassy, I'm sorry, regional USAID office in Suva. They're sitting with us now, when I say with us, in the embassy as we speak, there are probably 12 to 15. They will move into their own headquarters shortly with some 25 to 35 officers initially, and that should expand to 55 to 70, as I understand it, by the end of next year. It's a huge commitment, and it expands what was already there. USAID has been in the region and was located in Suva some time ago, even when I was there as ambassador, but in smaller numbers, and run basically out of the Agency for International Development in Manila. We're looking at bringing Peace Corps back in several countries, and Peace Corps volunteers already have been sworn in in Fiji and Tonga. Is there concern from the Biden administration about China's influence in the region? I would phrase it a bit differently in terms of even of your question, and we get this quite a bit, as you can imagine. But the U.S. is committed, and President Biden has said this, as have many members of the administration, to a free and open Indo-Pacific, where all countries can operate transparently and abide by international laws. And that concern has to do with more than one country, all right? I would say that the concern that has been shared over certain actions in the South China Sea and human rights concerns um, are concerns that the U.S. shares. And we also often talk of the rule of law. And I'm a lawyer by background, but there are we can share concerns with partner countries that there's a need to follow rules of international conduct. So we have many relationships and we would like to say that there's plenty of room to do development work and partner with the Pacific Island countries. And that's what we're trying to do with the initiatives that we have. And by coming to the forum, to participate on the margins of the leaders meeting, I think enables us at least on a regular basis to share our priorities. Fiji has set the rugby world on notice with a stunning win at the weekend. The flying Fijians made history after beating England for the first time ever in a rugby match with the Rugby World Cup fast approaching. Christina Paseco reports. But the time is out. Fiji can't be beaten. Whatever happens from here, and it's been turned over, and it's Caleb Munts who fires it into touch. England has sunk to its nadir, but for Fiji, it is simply the greatest moment in their rugby history. As heard on Sky Sport, the flying Fijians have soared to new heights after beating former world champions England at Twickenham in London at the weekend. England were leading at the break, eight points to three, but Fiji scored three second-half tries for a stunning 30-22 victory. Captain Wasia Nayathalevo says there is a special bond in the group. This uh, this group of boys, uh, compared to the other 
other group of males I've been with is, is different. The bond we have is uh, quite special. Like Simon said, because uh, we went back and tried to reconnect with our roots and uh, who we are, who we represent. And uh, that's probably the foundation of uh, our campaign from there. The win also elevated Fiji to seventh in the world rankings, meaning they are now the highest ranked team in their World Cup group, which also has Australia, Wales, Portugal and Georgia. Rugby commentator Ken Laban says Fiji has the players and experience to push for the playoffs. Yes, well, you only have to finish in the top two to qualify. And that group is most certainly those top two positions are up, up for grabs and given the form of Fiji. And don't forget they've had to undergone some turmoil as well uh, with the coach, with the overseas coach leaving a couple of months ago and appointing a local at the last minute. So all things considered, it's a wonderful uh, shot in the arm for Fiji rugby. Meanwhile, Samoa ran world number one Ireland close before losing 17-13 in Bayonne, France. And it all comes with the World Cup in sight. The tournament kicks off with France playing New Zealand on the morning of September 9th Pacific time. Fiji's campaign opens on September 11th against Wales, while Samoa plays Chile on September 17th and Tonga faces Ireland later that same morning. For more on this stunning win, I'm joined by our senior sports journalist, Eliesa Tora. Talofalava and Bolivinake, Eliesa. Now, Fiji is truly on form ahead of the Rugby World Cup. How significant is this win against England? Talofalava and Bolivinaka, um, the win against England being the first ever for Fiji, uh, has um, you know, raised the hopes of Fijians all over the world as they follow the flying Fijians preparing for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, It was uh, a win that uh, showed uh, a lot of good things, that the Flying Fijians uh, are finally coming of age and are able to compete against uh, Tier 1 nations uh, like England and not only compete but also be able to win at the end of the day. Absolutely. What's changed in their technique and game strategy? Because... Whatever they're doing, it's working. I think the Flying Fijians um, uh, have been able to finally put together 80 minutes performance since they started uh, in July, in early July, uh, when they started camping together back home in Fiji on the island of uh, Taviuni. Uh, one of the main focus for them was uh, firstly to get players to know and understand each other. Uh, having come from different rugby backgrounds. Uh, of course, those who were in the Fijian Rua uh, were able to play together in the last two years. And then they had players from across Europe uh, who had played in professional rugby environments and were able to go back. Uh, and uh, during the, the camp, they were able to bond and reconnect to uh, their people back in Fiji and amongst themselves as as a team. And uh, the build-up so far uh, has been consistent during the Pacific Nations Cup Series in July. They were able to um, uh, defeat Tonga, Japan and Samoa uh, before they headed to France for um, the test against France uh, two weekends ago and, of course, against England. One of the main things that uh, has changed uh, 
positively for Fiji is their forward play. Now they are able to compete in the scrums, they are able to compete in the lineouts, and they are able to compete in the set pieces, which has always been the biggest problem for Fiji in the past. Uh, in the last 10 years, they've been able to uh, improve in parts, but I believe looking at how they have come through in their last five games, including the win against England, that is a big area they have um, improved on, their forward play. Uh, they have players now uh, who are able to stand and compete against um, the best, I believe, in the world. And their backline uh, has always been their secret uh, power in the past. Now they have uh, players out there who can virtually uh, create opportunities from anywhere across the field, and they have shown that consistently. Uh, on top of that, I believe it's, it's a very important factor, which is fitness. They now have someone who, is, who has proven to be a, a fitness guru for Fiji, for the uh, Fijian Rua, the Fiji Sevens teams. They won gold medal at the Olympic Games in Brazil, and of course in Japan. Uh, Navada Wanibuka, who uh, is well known in Fiji, and he has worked very hard in lifting the standard of fitness. And that has helped because the players are much fitter. They are able to play better and they are not committing as many mistakes as they would have done in the past. That's good to know. Manu Samoa have also shown the world they're a force to be reckoned with. What can we expect from these teams going forward? Manu Samoa also put up a, a very brave performance against Ireland. Unfortunately, uh, they lost that in the end. But like Fiji, Manu Samoa are also showing a lot of improvements in their forward play. And, and, and uh, I think because of the, um, the inclusion of players from the Moana Pacifica and professional players around Europe, uh, they are able to bring that back into the Manu Samoan team, like the Flying Fijians. And, um, uh, you know, as, as I said for Fiji, the same has happened for Manu Samoa. They've developed, they've improved a lot in their, in their forward play, the set pieces. They're able to compete there. They're able to stand their ground in the scrums and, of course, in the lineups. Um, and Fiji, Manu Samoa, and I, and I, think Tonga, to some extent, if they are able to come out of uh, the injury challenges they, they have been facing in their build-up, uh, they should be able to, to do well in, in the pool matches. I'm betting, on, I'm betting on Fiji with their current form and Samoa to at least make it into the, the quarterfinals. Definitely an exciting time for Pacific Rugby ahead of the Rugby World Cup. Thanks for your analysis, Eliezer. And that's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, tofa sui fua.